Amen. If you're new with us, my name is Pat Lassard. I get to be the executive pastor here. I am on our preaching team and I help share the load. It's a collaborative team effort. Every sermon, we work together, helping, shaping, leading, guiding, guiding, praying together, looking at the text, discussing. And so we very much share in these energies and efforts. And so, so here I am. Now, some of you don't know, uh, many of you don't know the extent of my story pre-Jesus, but I bought a lie. I bought a lie before Jesus. I bought a lot of lies. One of the lies was that I was alone. And in my aloneness of believing I was alone and on my own to survive and figure out life on my own and, and defend and survive the world, I got wrapped up in all sorts of drugs. You name it. I was addicted. I had a chemical dependency too helping me survive and cope with life and pain and struggles and disappointment, I was hooked on drugs and alcohol. And, and in that, I came to, God used that to bring me to my knees. God used that to help allow me to dig myself into a hole so that there'd be only one way to look, and that was up. And I did that, and I, and I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I experienced his ravishing love that he would love me still in spite of myself, that he would pursue me so much, that he would show such amazing grace and compassion. He would reveal himself to be true, transform my life. November 21st, 1999. Now, as I followed Jesus, I received the Holy Spirit. You accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. I was learning the word of God, and I had a love for Jesus. And yet, over and over and over and over and over again, I would relapse. I would go back to my old ways. Time after time after time, I would relapse drinking and, and all sorts of drugs and alcohol and whatever. I was failing. On my own, I was still keeping some people that I needed away from me. And I went to church and I loved Jesus and I knew some of the word and I had the spirit of God in me and yet I was failing over and over and over again. And it wasn't until I actually got into the church to the degree of having relationship with other people that I could know others and be known by others, that I could receive what God had for me in his design of how I'm supposed to live out this Christian faith. I could not do it on my own. This is the series that we're kicking off, not alone, not alone. You, Christian, have been set up for success. And we're gonna go over this passage over and over and over again in 2 Peter chapter one. It says this, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. God, God's divine power has granted us Everything that you need in this life, 
in this physical life, in what it takes to follow him, in what it takes to be in relationship with other people, in what it means to live out being his, like his image and his likeness and being his light in this dark world for here and for the life to come. His divine power has granted us everything, every single thing that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence. He's got you. He's got you. We're gonna be talking about all sorts of things that God has done in order to set you up for success, including the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, including the Word of God, including the people of God, the church, including angels, including prayer. That's our series that we're kicking off here over the next several weeks. Today, we're gonna start in by talking about the Father, the Father, Father God. Now, there's some important things to know about the Father God. First, it's important to know he always was and he always will be a father. He always was, he always will be a father. Before creation, God was a, you got it, you guys are with me, this is good. He was a father. Before creation, God was a father. Now, it's hard to conceptualize that, right? As a finite human being limited to ourselves. And so here I have the book of time. Here it is. This is the book of time. Now, this is a Reader's Digest version. Obviously, it's pretty small. But in here, since the beginning of time to the end of time, it's all captured in here. Every single person is captured in here in one sentence. Okay? Your life here in one sentence, it says this about you, captured in these words in a sentence, in a paragraph, in a chapter, in a book, limited to a page. God sits outside of time. He is not confined like you are to time, to a sentence, to a line on a page. God is transcendent. In other words, he is above and beyond time itself. So he can see all of time being an infinite, mighty, eternal, everlasting God. He sees time very different than we do. He is not limited to the confines of time like you, like me. God sits outside of it. And so sitting outside of time, transcending above and beyond time, God has always been a father, always been a father. He has never not been a father. Now, how many of you are fathers? And show of hand online as well. How many of you are fathers? Awesome. And how did you become a father? Because you had a kid, right? Every single time. That's the answer, right? Every single time. For me, I have been just short, days short of being a father for 20 years to 40, not 40, to four, right? To four human beings, right? With all of that that comes with being a father, the joys and the sadness, 
the exhaustion, the frustration, the happy times, the joking, the laughing, the playing around, the confusion, right? And everything in between that's a part of being a dad. God has been a father for infinity. A little bit more than you. Two billions, two billions, T-O, two billions and billions, he has been a father. He has parented a scotch more than you. He has always been and always will be a father. John 17, Jesus says this. He says, Father, you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Father, you've loved me before any of this happened. Any of this happened. Before any of this, you loved me. I was with you. Jesus himself, he says about himself in John 8, he's talking to his, uh, some of his favorite religious leaders, those self-righteous leaders, and he says, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him because they knew exactly what he was saying. He was claiming to be equal with God, to be the son of the father. And so when Jesus says before uh, the creation, before the foundation of the world, we were in relationship. The son has always been the son Therefore, the father has always been the father. He has never not been a father. He has never not been the father. He didn't have his son and then become a father. God has always been a father. So that's important to know in the extent of knowing our God with what we have in him and who he is. He always was and he always will be a father. Because he's always had a son, he's always had children, and he always will. Looking forward to that. In eternity, in heaven, to be with our heavenly father. All of his kids together in peace. But some people are confused about what it means to be a child of God, to be the children of God. Even Damien, he said it this morning. He used it appropriately, and that was good. I, I love the, the setup of being a child of God. That's good to think that way and to view that way. But how do you become a child of God? Is it more than just flesh and blood? Some people, they read and interpret Genesis 1, and 27, and it says that he says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And you hear that plural word, let us. Hebrew word, Elohim, it's both singular and plural. It is both a single God, one, and plural, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And so is it simply just flesh and blood that makes one a child of God or children of God? Jesus has something else to say about that as well. In John 1, Rather, it's about Jesus here. It says, he came to his own, that is, Jesus came to his own creation. And his own people did not receive him. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So to be created by God is one thing, being made in his image and his likeness. That does not constitute you simply being flesh and blood to being a child of God. So technically, according to God, we are all not the children of God. He does not say that about the world and all of his creation. He says very specifically, those who believe in the Son of God become a child of God. When you give your faith to him, When you trust him, when you follow him, you become born again, and now you're in the family of God. Very clear, it's not just flesh and blood, but it is through believing and receiving that you become made new in the fathers. Jesus even draws this point further, talking to those religious leaders, those self-righteous ones that he butted up against so often, he, calls, he identifies they have a different father, a very different father. John 8, says, this is Jesus' words to them, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Very clearly, these men and women, specifically men in this conversation, these religious leaders made in God's image and God's likeness, created by God. They lived their lives in such a way it was in direct opposition of God. Therefore, they were doing their father's bidding, their father's desires, Satan's. And so Jesus says, your father's Satan. So he makes it very clear. It's not just flesh and blood that makes one a child of God. It takes far more in following and being born again and receiving and believing is what it takes to be a child of God. We are not alone. We've been set up for success because we have a father. And he always was and he always will be a father. And to be a child of God, it takes believing and receiving the son. And then we are in the family of God. Now, another thing that's really important when it comes to our Heavenly Father is our perception of the Father. Based off of our perception of our Heavenly Father, we will relate to Him as such on that level, whatever that is. Now, it's typical for us, most of us, we relate to God, we perceive God as we experience our earthly fathers whatever that was, the good and the bad as we experience our earthly fathers, we project that onto God. And some of that can be good and some of that can be helpful when it comes to good attributes, but it can be very damaging of our relationship with our heavenly father when we take those experiences, we perceive heavenly father as such and project that brokenness on him, therefore we relate to him very differently. 
that can be very damaging in our relationship with God. And so we want to be, we want to be mindful of this. Now, there's a, a psychological term when it comes to this brokenness in experiencing our earthly fathers, and it's been coined the father wound, the father wound. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, every single one of us has an imperfect dad, an imperfect father. Us as fathers, we raised our hands and raised our hands online. Every single one of us is an imperfect dad. And uh, there are things as God has given us, entrusted us the same name that he himself has, Father, that there's a weight that comes with that. But there's mistakes that are done and it's, it can be detrimental to us in our experiences. Even the best of dads that I know still make these mistakes. And so here's the acrostic here. Common father wounds. D is distant. Whether that's passive, they're just passive, or they're absent, completely absent from the picture, or they're distracted from work or hobbies or life, or they're numbing out, surviving themselves, they're distant. A is aggressive. That could be abusive, but maybe not. Maybe it's their anger. Maybe it's uh, how they handle toughening you up, or they were harsh, or they were sharp, but they were aggressive. And then the next one, the big one, is disappointing. It's big because it's broad. You wanted something, you needed something, you expected something, and you didn't receive that. Disappointment is any time an unmet expectation comes into play. Even the best of dads that I know blow it on these levels at times. It, it, it aches my heart even reading this because I know I've made some of these mistakes too. I wish I would have done some things different in my own parenting. And I'm not done yet. And I'm a better dad, thankfully, and I have a good dad. I'm grateful for the example that I have in my dad. And I know he did better than his father. And I hope my kids do better than me. It's part of the cycle. Now, God does not promise he will never disappoint you. We'll address the distance thing. We'll address the aggression thing. But God does not promise he will never disappoint you. Disappointment is based off of your expectations. And just because you have an expectation of God does not oblige him to fulfill that expectation. You can be on two different wavelengths with God, with the Father, with what you expect of him and he expects of him. So he does not promise to never disappoint you. The only way to never disappoint you would be to always do what you want always give you what you think you need right here, right now, or what you feel, how well would that work for you? If you always got what you wanted every single time, every time you felt something, you bumped your knee, you kicked your toe, and you wanted something to be fixed immediately, what would that turn you into? Man, I know it turned me into a spoiled brat. No joke, no lie. I know that about me. 
there is missed expectations. And God understands that. How many of you as parents have ever disappointed your own kids? <laughs> right? So every seasoned hand goes up, right? Because you can't. You're not God. And even if you were, that's not the best thing that they need. God knows that. God knows that. Painstakingly, God knows that. He's a big target. He gets blamed for a lot. But he's God. And he's good, as we'll see. I put together a slide of a number of character traits that the Bible says about our Heavenly Father. The one, the only, perfect Father. Look at these with me. The one and only, perfect Heavenly Father. He is safe. He is strong. He's protective. He disciplines He's loving, he's forgiving, he's personal. He's a respecter of wills. He's competent, he's patient, he provides. He expresses himself. He works and he knows how to rest. You like that? He's gracious, he's generous, and he celebrates. He thinks and plans, he feels, He's proud of his kids. He's near. He listens. He's compassionate. He makes promises and he keeps them. Take a picture of that. If you need to sit on that, if you need to think on that, if you need to pray on that, if you need God to speak and minister to you online, take a screenshot of that. Spend some time with the Father in his perfection. Maybe you as a father in the midst of your own imperfections, you need to sit with your dad, your heavenly dad in that. Or maybe you, as you think about your earthly dad and some of those faults and wounds and mistakes that maybe you're still struggling with, to allow the perfect one and only Father to minister to you in all of his goodness and truth. He is a good, good father. Amen? Amen. He is good. Your heavenly father is not your earthly father. Your heavenly father is not your earthly father. Therefore, you cannot relate to him at that same level with those same expectations on that same wavelength. Even if you were blessed with a good dad, maybe a few of you were blessed with a great dad. They are not your heavenly father and he is not like them. He is 10,000 times better than any good dad. Those were John Piper's words, and I agree with him. Father God is 10,000 times better than any good dad. He is not the same. God has none of the sin that your earthly father does. God has none of the sin that your earthly father does, even if he was a good one. You are not alone. You are set up for success 
God has provided it as such. His divine power has granted you everything that you need for life and godliness. To follow him in this life, to do all that God has called you to do in this life and the life to come through knowing him and all that he has provided for you. Because he is the one and only one, the perfect father. Now, when it comes to our father, it's a relationship. And because it's a relationship, it's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. It's not all about us, believe it or not. You know, as kids and parenting, uh, it is very much about them. And they grow up with it being very much about them. And as they grow, the relationship and dynamic of that relationship changes. And they're in healthy relationships. It's a little more reciprocal. It's a little more mutual. And that continues to manifest itself as the relationship matures and that's nurtured. Appropriately so with our relationship with our father. It becomes less and less about us and being us-centered and more and more about God in a relationship with our heavenly Father, a personal, intimate relationship with him. And with this relationship, he has some expectations. Believe it or not, he does. He has some expectations on us. What does the one and only perfect father want of his kids? He does. He wants a couple things from you. Number one, first and foremost, to have faith in him. To have faith in him. There's a couple words. If you were to use a word in your relationship with uh, your child or your friend or a coworker, if you were to use a word 500 times in your conversations with them, do you think they would think that's pretty important? Like, oh my goodness, yes. Emphatically, that's a really important thing for you in us. God uses this word 500 times. He uses the word faith and believe 500 times in the New Testament. He wants you to have faith in him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to believe him. He wants that to dramatically impact your relationship with him. And I get this as a dad. At the end of the day, at the end of my life, I want my kids to have faith in me. I want my kids to trust me. I want my kids to believe me. Now, I'm going to make mistakes. I have and I will. And I want them to trust me and to trust my voice. I might know some things about them that they don't even know about themselves. I might know some things about life that they don't yet. I want them to trust me. I want to lead them and guide them and help them. I love them. I've sacrificed greatly for them. I want them to trust me. An infinity times so, God. He knows you better than you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to help you. He loves you infinitely. And he has expressed that through Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. He knows you. 
He wants you to trust him. He wants you to believe him. An interesting thing about faith is when you don't see it. He wants you to trust him when you're not seeing it. When you're not seeing how it's going to work. He wants you to trust him when you're not feeling it. When he doesn't feel close, will you still trust me? How many of you are feelers? It's your primary way of going about life. He wants you to trust him regardless of feeling it. How many of you are thinkers and more cerebral? He wants you to trust him even though you don't understand it or you know how it's gonna go. Trust is really important to God as it is foundational for any relationship. And when we go back at that one and only perfect God and we see his track record, has he proven himself trustworthy? Has he proven himself trustworthy in your life? Has he proven himself trustworthy? Okay, that's good. That's important to know, the track record he comes with. What does the Father want you to trust him in? What is he wanting you to trust him in right now in what's going on in your life? And you know, and he knows. What does he want you to trust him in? So what does the one imperfect father want from his kids? To have faith in him. And from that faith, to do his will is the other piece of it, to do his will. How many of you are familiar with uh, gotquestions.org? Show of hands. It is an amazing resource, gotquestions.org. If you have questions about faith and the Bible and Christianity, it is a fantastic resource. I'm not gonna do the personal study for you here and now about God's will and those few scriptures that are there that specify that. But I encourage you, uh, there's an article there that captures it really well and it'll lead you and guide you through that personal study of what is God's will? What, what does he say about God's will? Okay, so I'm gonna leave that to you. But this is what Jesus says in Mark 3. He says, for whoever does the will of God, that's my brother and sister. Jesus says, whoever does the will of my father, that is a child of God. That is my brother and sister. And so that's an important piece of this faith journey of our, with our heavenly father. The children of God do the will of God. Simple as that. Not very complicated. The children of God do the will of God. And obviously, Jesus' words in John 8, he made it clear, the children of the devil do the will of the devil, right? Complete different contrast. So to do God's will means you're in the family. You're in the family. And to do his will, it's always consistent with his word. To do his will, it will never be in contradiction with what he has already said by the Spirit of God and perfectly preserved for thousands of years for you to have. It is always consistent with his word. And it applies to everyone, always, all the time. You can bank on that. The will of God. 
I love what Micah 6.8 says, even though it doesn't use that terminology, will of God, it captures it really well. Micah 6.8 says, he has told you, oh man, what is good. He's already told you, you already know this, right? He has told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord God require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness or mercy, most many translations, and to walk humbly with your God. You want to know the will of God? In general, if you did this, you will be good. To do justice. Is there injustice in your workplace or relationships or family? Is there something that is not just that you are needing to stand up for? To stand up on behalf of relationships or in the world, obviously. Who are you needing to stand up for? What is just? And to walk, to love mercy. Is there someone you're needing to show mercy to? In other words, they've wronged you. They did wrong to you. And you need to show them mercy I'm not saying fake it. Don't be fake to them, but to actually, the the love of Christ compels you to do his will and you are merciful towards them with the love of Christ flowing in you, through you, to them for his glory. And then to walk humbly. Has there been some arrogance, some pride, some self-centeredness, some self-sufficiency that you look back on and go, I need to do the opposite of that. I need to step down from that. I need to step back from that. I need to walk in some humility with this person, with this situation. That is the general will of God. And I wanna finish up here with the specific will of God as I'm wrapping up here the specific will of God. I would say it this way, the specific will. What is the specific will of God for your life, for your life, for your life, for each of us specifically? And I would say look to the word of God, the people of God, and the spirit of God. The word of God, the people of God, the spirit of God. Pastor Scott, he would say look up, look in, and look out. Very much the same things. We look to God and say, God help me, God lead me, God guide me. We look in and go, how did you make me God? We look to the word of God and say, what is it that you are calling me specifically to? What resonates with me deeply? How have you gifted me? And we look to the people of God, people that know us, love us, people that are wise, mature, and they help lead us, guide us, and shape us. What has God called you to? It's going to look different for the next guy or for the next gal. The same thing God called Noah to with the flood is not the same thing God called Moses to with the exodus and the burning bush and leading people. The same thing God called Ezra to as a priest in rebuilding the people of God is not what he called Nehemiah to. The same thing that God called Martin Luther King Jr. to in the civil rights movement is not 
the same thing God called Rosa Parks to in being the mother of the civil rights movement in her quiet expression of what is just. It was very different in expression. What has God called you to? Are you doing it? Are you walking in that? It requires guaranteed faith. It requires guaranteed depending on your heavenly father. Are you doing it? Are you being obedient? Are you doing the will of God that God has called you to specifically? Don't get it twisted and look at what other people are doing. Don't project what your gifts are on other people saying they should be doing that too. What has God God called you to specifically? I love this verse. And this is the last verse I'm sharing as we wrap up here. John 21. This is a conversation Jesus had with John. And it says this. Sorry, with Peter. And he's speaking about John. And he says in verse 22... When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus had just told Peter, feed my sheep. And after you've done feeding my sheep, I want you to know this. You are going to have a kind of a hard road, okay? And then Peter, he goes, what about this guy? What about John? What does that mean for him? And Jesus says this. If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You, follow me. What I do as Jesus with this person or this person or this person does not concern you. You, follow me. You, follow me. God is gonna do different things and specific things with each of us individualistically. He's gonna call us to and gift us and shape us for certain things and fulfilling his general will. What has he called you to? Are you walking in that? Are you stepping in faith with all that God has called you to? Are you depending on the heavenly father in that? It's gonna require faith. It's gonna require trusting the one and only perfect heavenly Father. If you're here today, if you're online with us and you don't have that perfect, you don't have that relationship with your perfect heavenly Father, it is not an accident that you're here. God is calling you, the Father is calling you to him. We wanna invite you to respond to that. The spirit of God is prompting you. He loves you. He wants you to be his kid. If you recently has made that decision, we invite you in to be baptized. If you don't know what that means, no problem. We'll lead you and guide you with what he calls us to in that. But please do, make yourself known. If you need prayer after service, please do. We'd love to pray with you. If you made a decision for Jesus Christ recently, we'd love to help lead you and guide you in that. Right now, as we wrap up, we're gonna sing a perfect song for this time. 
It's called never once. It is to the Father that never once has he left us or abandoned us. Even though scars and bruises are on our way, we can trust and say that he has never once left us or abandoned us. Would you stand up with me? Would you join me in giving to God what he is worthy and deserving of? Let's praise our King.